It's giving off a nasty odor. I believe it's the fragile bodies of nocturnal insects which, attracted to the light, roast themselves on the incandescent streetlight. Halloween episode of Threepcast. Um, yes. The, uh... <laughs> 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 it's, it's, it's a little bit over the top, given that the game that we're reviewing is not all that spooky. But anyway, uh, hello everybody. Welcome to Threepcast. Um, I'm Elliot. I'm Anton. And this is episode 17 of the podcast. And as you might have guessed, this is our uh, annual Halloween podcast episode on which we will be reviewing Tony Tuff and the Night of Roasted Moths. Um, but before we get to that, let's catch up with all of everybody that's here, which is just the two of us this month. Um, we're, run- we're running with a lighter crew this time. Um Anton, what's been going on with you? Well, uh, <laughs> not too much. Things have been pretty chill. Um, we got new audio set up to record with. I've been enjoying that. Um, playing VG games. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I finished playing <coughs> Digimon Story Cyber Sleuth recently. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. You've been working on that for a while, right? Uh-huh. I got it back in, like, April or something, whenever it came out. And I, I took my sweet old time playing it, and I got all the way up to the final boss, and then I was like, I'm going to stop and do all the side quests in the entire game. And it took me a really long time. Wow. And then I had really strong Digimon, and the final boss was really easy, but it was fun anyway. <laughs> 10 out of 10, no problems, A+, plus. buy it today or else. Good. Um... Yeah, I haven't had a whole lot going on with me um, in terms of stuff that'd be interesting for the podcast. Um, Still plowing away on the idiot's tail, um, getting ever closer to being able to release it. This is true. Um, Within the last two days, um, I've started playing the original Bioshock, which I never got around to doing, even though it's like an eight, nine-year-old game at this point. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. but yeah, I, I've been really enjoying it. Um, it's very like surprisingly well thought out um, in in uh, like almost every aspect, not just in yeah. terms of uh, gameplay and level design, but also just in terms of story and and um, just like themes and, and questions mm-hmm. that they bring up while you're playing the game. I thought like so at, too. At, at what point did the first-person shooter become the thinking man's game? That's what I want to know. <laughs> I don't know. I guess it's just the first-person thing makes it more immersive. But then it's like, mm. well, you can't just have a walking simulator. No one would play that. Right. So then, so then you go shoot stuff also. <clears throat> yeah, so I'm really enjoying it so far. I haven't made it too far in. I did have to take the difficulty down. I started playing on hard mode. Mm-hmm. And I like got through the first two levels on hard mode, and then third level is like I can't take this anymore, and I cranked it down to medium. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, but yeah, I'm really enjoying it so far. Yeah, uh, I, I appreciated the way that they fold the gameplay and the narrative themes sort of together. Mm-hmm. 
the, the, the stuff you're doing sort of suggests thoughts that fit into the themes of the game, if hmm. that makes any sense. That might make more sense when I get a little bit further in. It doesn't really make sense mm-hmm. to me now. Okay. Um, anyway, um, adventure games. Um, let's do the news. Here's the news. So this month we've got a few pieces of news. Um, Duke Grabowski, Mighty Swashbuckler, recently came out. Um, this was a kickstarted point-and-click game uh, being headed by Bill Tiller, the uh, lead artist for Curse of Monkey Island. Um, also CEO of Autumn Moon Entertainment. Um, I don't. I don't think this is being released under Autumn Moon Entertainment. I think he reformed into a new company. Um, but anyway, yeah, it's it's a brand new pirate swashbuckling game by Bill Tiller. And apparently, I think it got picked up by a publisher, so they're going to be making more. But, like, the original game that they kickstarted is out, but they're calling it the first episode, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So it's out, playable. I haven't got it yet, but I did back it whenever they had the yeah. kickstarter for that. Um. It looks really polished and colorful. Like I'm, mm-hmm. I'm interested to play it at some point. Yeah, yeah. It does. Uh, it does look like they they did another pirate game when they were formed as Autumn Moon Entertainment. That I think it was called the Ghost Pirates of Vuju Island. Mm. It was also Monkey Island inspired, but I didn't play that one either. But yeah, all yeah. of these games have a very heavy Monkey Island vibe to them, like. That's certainly not a bad thing. I mean, I think yeah. that I, I'm really glad that he's able to carry on that really, like, um, kind of smooth, warped look that they developed for Curse of Monkey Island and sort of put that in other games, too. Mm-hmm. Especially now that uh, Monkey Island's on ice again. Yeah, right, exactly. So we can kind of enjoy these spiritual successors to Monkey yeah. Island. Um. Okay. Anton, have you got any news? I do have news. Let's uh, hear it. <laughs> okay. So, let's see. Okay, so the Grasshopper manufacturer, makers of No More Heroes and Killers Not Dead and other games that people play sometimes, uh, uh-huh. re- this month we released their very first game from 1999 called The Silver Case. And it was mm. an adventure game. And it only came out in Japan, but they recently revamped it for modern computers, and I guess it's localized into various languages. So now you can play it. Awesome. Yeah, I haven't heard anything if it's about it if it's any good or not. It looks very retro, as you might expect. Yeah, I I haven't ever well I, I'd never heard of this game in the first place. Yeah, I hadn't um, either. I just heard about it after they re released it. Yeah. Um. Cool. Well, maybe we'll get around to checking it out someday. Yeah. And then the other news I heard about is that Francisco Gonzalez, who's affiliated with Wadjadai Games and made A Golden Wake and other games, I think, mm-hmm. has recently announced that he's doing a new adventure game called Lamplight City. And I don't know anything about it, except that it looks like it's set in a steampunkish 
1920s setting. Was this just recently announced? Yeah, that was, was, I don't know, a couple weeks ago this month. Okay, because I I heard that Wadjetai Games was releasing another game that was similar sounding. Like, it was also steampunk themed, but that was like a few months ago. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, I saw I think I'm thinking of Shard Light. Mm -hmm. Was that an adventure game? Uh Uh-huh, yeah, that came out recently. Yeah, I think, yeah, Shard Light's what I was thinking of. Well, see, this isn't news, except that it's news to me. Wadjetai Games is also making a new game called Unavowed, which mm-hmm. is like an adventure game RPG hybrid. Hmm. Where it's like an urban setting with, like, magic. <laughs> as far as I so, can get. So, like, Earthbound. Yeah. And I had, apparently this was announced months ago, but I never heard about it. I, I'm going through Wadjetai Games' game list, and I just saw that they've got a game on their list called The New Guys. I, it I looks can really kind of goofy. <laughs> it's The New Guys. It's the New Guys. I'm I'm impressed, you know, how much output they have. Mm-hmm. Like since I started paying attention to them, they've they've probably put <clears> out like three or four adventure games this year alone. Yeah, and it's like Shard Light and. I like that their adventure games have a really solid retro look to them. Yeah. All of their games kind of follow the same graphical look. They don't jump all over the place when it comes to style. Mm. But also that besides just doing retro art, it's all nice and big and chunky. Mm -hmm. Instead of just going for, you know, tiny pixel characters, it's really thoroughly fleshed out, usually. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So there you go. Cool guys. Cool cool games so i had one more piece of news before we move on um minecraft story mode mm-hmm. um which i know we've covered before um recently they decided to release the first episode of minecraft story mode for free oh so if you haven't picked it up yet now you have no excuse at least the first episode anyway <laughs> mm-hmm. then you'll get um, so involved in the plot that you'll have to buy the rest of them i think that's the idea didn't that come to an end recently i want to say it did i, I want to say that they finished it off around eight episodes of course i you know telltale usually does just five or maybe yeah, six right. if they're feeling ambitious so the fact they went all the way up to eight is kind of unusual for them i know i was surprised they kept going i mean i haven't been um, following it so i don't know what the plot is but yeah it's pretty cool well, that they were able to I sustain actually, a story that long before uh we started recording i was kind of toying around with possible um schedules for next year for the podcast and i think we might do minecraft story mode next year Uh possibly so stay tuned um okay i think that's it for the news um so i guess now uh we're gonna move on to the main game of the evening uh tony tough and the night of roasted moths so let's get through the wiki really quick um anton can you time me yeah ready go tony tough and the night of roasted moths is a pc adventure game owned and developed by nema software the game's first official release was in december 1997 in torino during the multimedia event saloon.bit at nema expo stand and then on march 24 1998 in Fire Ends during the Media Art Tech International Exhibition where the game got attention from main Italian computer magazines and distributors. 
Um, in 2011, Tony Tough entered the Scum VM project. On October 24th, 2012, the game was launched again under license from .mu, a retro gaming company based in France. Players control the titular Tony Tough, a private detective described as a gnome-sized, nasal-voiced, hypochondriac mama's boy, guiding him through the game by positioning the cursor over objects and instructing Tony to interact with them. The game shares many traits with titles such as Day of the Tentacle, which it has been compared to by reviewers. These include a focus on conversations with strange characters, puzzle solving, and combining and using items found throughout the game. The graphics and animation are cartoon-like. Two modes of play are present. Beginner mode has less puzzles and does not feature two in-game minigames. And that's literally the entire Wikipedia for this game. <laughs> oh, man. You've still there... got, you know, like 13 seconds to spare. <laughs> there are no reviews. There's no uh, development history. <laughs> really nothing interesting. Normally, mm-hmm. I cut some of the boring stuff out on these wiki readings, um, like, mm-hmm. oh, well, players control the game by using the mouse, but, like, mm-hmm. this, this whole wiki page is, like, two paragraphs. It's kind of sad. <laughs> 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 and a lot of it sounds like it was written by somebody who worked at the company and wanted mm-hmm. to, like, preserve the history of when the game was expoed where. And yeah. How well-known is this game? Like, I know See, I, I knew about it because you had known about it and you play, had played it. Right. I was under the impression that it was more well-known than this. So, like, I actually... The game didn't get localized into English until, like, 2002. Um, mm-hmm. And that was the first I had heard of it. They ran a, a review on Adventure Gamers about Tony Tough, and that was sort of when I got interested in it and started tracking the game down. Um, but, yeah, I don't really have a sense of how popular it is because... You know, I was kind of going around YouTube looking to see um, if anyone else had any, like, interesting Tony Tough-themed videos, like developer interviews or mm-hmm. such things. But, like, there's really not very much. Like, there's a few people who did Let's Plays of Tony Tough in Italian. And then there's huh. a video of, like, a like a pre-release opening animation for the game that didn't end up in the, the final game. But, yeah, there's really not a lot of media out there. I mean, Mm -hmm. I guess there's got to be some level of interest because they re-released it on Steam recently. Yeah, that is true, and that is nice. Somebody somebody somewhere thought that, you know, it'd be worth re-releasing. One thing I thought was interesting was that uh, when they put it in ScumVM, you know, they were going around, they were trying to solve some issues with the engine, and the developer for the game actually got on their their development forum (laughs) and was, like, talking with them about... Oh, yeah, I've still got all the source code. I can help you guys out if you want. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> and he, he he did tell some interesting stories on there about how he was uh, coordinating with the art guy remotely. And they, like, they were trying to get stuff done, and then eventually they decided they just needed to meet up in person, so they went and met up in this, mm-hmm. like, cabin and locked themselves in for a while. <laughs> just oh, did wow. nothing but work on Tony Tough. See, I should have gone looking there. That sounds like that he's got more interesting stories about the game's development than uh, than I was able to track down. Yeah, we we can link to this on the show notes. This this guy's uh, what? Do you know what his name is? The developer? Oh gosh, I've forgotten now. He was working with the Scum <laughs> VM guys. I could probably go find it, but I don't remember off the top of my head. Okay, well, yeah, we'll we'll put it in the show notes, but. Yeah, so if you're interested in in the backstory of the making mm-hmm. of Tony Tough, it sounds like he's got some details on that. I think it's cool that he's still around and he's like, he's still involved enough with stuff that he'll get on and talk about, oh yeah, this is what we did back then and 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's some bugs, and I know I, why it happened this way. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, it's it's always cool when these games come out, and then like the developers kind of hover around and like yeah, you know, if it's like a low enough level of interest in the game that they can kind of like actually directly communicate with the fan base and sort mm-hmm. of pal around with you know. Yeah, yeah, pal around with them without being like totally over overwhelmed with uh, people trying to get in touch with them. Right, right. Yeah, like I could imagine if like one of the Bioshock developers did this, that they'd just be like totally yeah, they'd get swamped. swamped. Yeah, exactly. Um, so yeah, that's cool. I I had actually forgotten completely about that. I, I remember you sent me a link to that, and I, I didn't really ever look at it while I was playing Tony Tough. Yeah, I mean, um, it was a while back. I I didn't. I probably should have gone back and read through the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Oh well. So yeah, Tony Tough. The game itself, um, as the as the Wikipedia article alluded to, um, Tony Tuff is a, um, a private detective who is very nasally and um, kind of hard to get along with. Um, <laughs> and the plot of the game is basically that he has this pet dog named Pantagruel, although it's not really clear if it's a dog or a taper. His dog gets kidnapped... And Tony is lured into this place called Halloween Park, which is a Halloween themed theme, uh, Halloween themed theme park. Yes, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, where he must locate his missing dog, and that's basically the gist of the plot. Mm-hmm. There's also there's a like a frame story that's introduced in the beginning where Tony is investigating aliens supposedly who are uh, stealing candy from children on Halloween night. Um, but that plot kind of gets dropped as soon as you get into the park and it just becomes about trying to find Pantagruel. Mm. Yeah. So that's the story. Um, I guess we can do our, our two man round table. Uh, Anton, what were your thoughts on Tony tough? Well, it's complicated. (laughs) (laughs) Well, actually, actually not. Sorry. Um, do you mind if I start? And then yeah, you back can go Because I, I have, like, a, a further um, history with this game. Um, so we I got the game for around Christmas of 2003 because um, I was on the hunt for more games that were styled like LucasArts games because I think I had gone through the entire LucasArts adventure game catalog at that point. So I got Tony Tough, and um, initially, like, I was very... Um, impressed with it like i really liked the uh all the humor and and the uh the puzzles mm-hmm. and the graphics because it reminded me a lot of of you know lucas art style games um and i do remember that we had a lot of trouble playing through it the first time because for whatever reason the computer that we had installed it on there was like some kind of weird memory leak bug where like mm-hmm. you could play the game for about 45 minutes and then it would just freeze with no explanation <laughs> and then like you you could like force quit it and then uh restart the game and, and try again but you'd run into the same problem where eventually we just run out of memory and freeze mm. um so that that kind of soured my experience playing it the first time but um yeah we we did eventually finish it and mm-hmm. um luckily that that problem doesn't exist in the uh the scum vm version of the game it is still kind of buggy though i i still had it crash on me a couple of times when i was playing yeah but it didn't really um, have anything to do with like play length so i don't think it was the same issue 
It was just me clicking too fast mm. in certain areas. Yeah, it I didn't notice a couple of behavior. A couple of weird things, like you could like open up the inventory bar at the bottom when you weren't supposed to be able to, and mm-hmm. there was one part actually about the middle of the game where it just flat out um, crashes. Sort of. well, it doesn't crash, but it like it will never uh, return from a cutscene. Mm-hmm. Like it'll take away interactivity, and Tony will say a joke, but then it will like never give you the cursor back. It'll just mm-hmm. sit there forever. And actually, um, the ScumVM team did fix this bug later, but for whatever reason, the Steam page has not updated it. So if you download it off of Steam, it'll come packaged with an old version of ScumVM where it has this bug. Mm-hmm. And then you got to go in and do some like some copy and paste magic and, and mm-hmm. replace the ScumVM to, to get it to be fixed. But Yeah. Yeah, I definitely experienced some bugs as well. Mm-hmm. Anyway, um, Anton, would you like to continue on with your review? Oh, uh, okay. Well, so basically, I thought the art was really great. There mm. were some places where the music was pretty good, too. Like, I, I enjoyed the music quite a bit. Yeah. Uh, Tony's voice was kind of grating. But it actually, I thought it got a lot better as the game went along. His it's voice? One of those, yeah. Like, I don't know, for whatever reason, his opening <coughs> line of dialogue came off as like super irritating maybe that was on purpose or maybe they maybe. just recorded that first i mean it's maybe you just of... got conditions to his voice as the game well right on. exactly it's sort of like that adventure game effect where as you play through the game you grow attached to the main character just because you know you've you've been trying all these different things you keep saying funny stuff and you're like ah, ha, 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 ha. Mm-hmm. Have, have it sharing a good joke anyways mm. so basically <laughs> the entire game is great except for any of the puzzles <laughs> <laughs> i don't know okay. I, i'm being a little bit i'm exaggerating a little bit but the puzzles were were troubled in my opinion they're just kind of riddled with incoherent leaps of logic and i i mm-hmm. left me kind of wondering whether something was lost in translation because so many of these puzzles and, and adventure games rely on like verbal cues that the characters will give you hints when you look at something and i could see right. that maybe not making the jump through translation because it seems like the translation was a little bit rushed because there were some lines of dialogue that seemed strangely phrased or the subtitles would have question marks on the end like they were going to come back and take a second look at it later mm-hmm. uh yeah like so it was I a translator know. who marked the, the line yeah. of text with question marks and there's like, like I'll oh come back maybe and i didn't translate later. this quite right I'll, i need to check the context or something like that it just right, feels right. like on a lot of puzzles there's a, some missing context Hmm. Um, I, they just didn't prompt you or, with enough or else, hints. Or else it's just the game just needs to give you more hints in general. But yeah, the puzzles are kind of painful and I basically did not have any qualms about using UHS hints for about 60% of the puzzles. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, shout out to the UHS solution. hints. Uh-huh. They're a lifesaver. <laughs> I was amused by all of their... Uh, their text on UHS hints that's kind of trying to rationalize why why this works. Right, I felt I felt right. I felt bad for whoever had to write up the hints on on UHS hints because sometimes the the author just threw up their hands and was like, "Don't use logic here because it doesn't make any sense." <laughs> uh huh. Yeah, that's kind of where the game is at with puzzles. But I really yeah. enjoyed the rest of it. Like the art is big and colorful. It look like looks mm-hmm. as good as Day of the Tentacle in my opinion. Yeah, 
Yeah, definitely it's kind of like a cross between uh, Day of the Tentacle and, like, Curse of Monkey Island. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, the art, art was great. There's, like, it's really lavishly animated. Like, there's a lot of stuff that you wouldn't expect there to be an animation for that has, has you know, a, mm-hmm. several, you know, a really detailed several-frame animation. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I guess... I should say uh, my complaints about the puzzles might be tainted a little bit because I started out in hard mode. Because <laughs> usually I'm like, uh, oh, it can't be that much harder. But my impression is that there's. Mode, it wouldn't have been. Yeah, my impression is not. It's like I think that there's not that many differences between easy mode and hard mode. I think hard mode just adds a couple of extra puzzles. Okay. Doesn't act. It doesn't actually make the the whole game, like your entire experience, that much easier. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I would basically agree with everything you said. Um, I felt like the puzzles kind of ranged from being manageable and, like, pretty clear on, like, okay, well, I need to go get this thing and give it to this person. That was kind of one end of the spectrum, and the other end of the sp- spectrum was kind of like what you're talking about, where it's just, like, this mm-hmm. is completely insane. There's no context for what I need to do here. It's, like the game would just like not help you at all in terms of like trying to figure it out. In some cases it would, it would like mislead you. Like mm. you could talk to a character who wanted something and then they would start a conversation that kind of sounded like, Oh, this is like a cue for like you to go get a bunch of items and, and help mm. them. But it's like, that wasn't the answer. It was just them talking to you. Um, what I found most frustrating though, is that the puzzle chains were so long where it was like, oh, well, you need to do this so that this can happen, so then you can get this item, and then you can go over to this person and do this. And mm-hmm. So, like, I could often see, like, most of the chain. Like, I could see, like, well, I need to get this to happen, and then this, and then this, and then this, and but I couldn't figure out how to start it. Mm-hmm. And it was like, well, how, where does this start? Like, what, what do I need to do to, to get the first thing? Right. And that would be one of the really insane puzzles that was really hard to figure out. So it's like the the pacing of the game is really like in fits and starts where like you'd get really stuck and go to UHS hints and get a hint and then it's like oh, okay I know what to do and then you solve like five or six puzzles and then you get stuck again and mm-hmm. um yeah so I think that overall I think that the reason this game is so ridiculously difficult is not necessarily that the individual puzzles are that bad but just the sheer density of puzzles I think yeah, is kind too. of I think it just kind of obfuscates everything. Right, because you've got, like, once you get into the park, you've got all the puzzles access to at once, basically. Mm-hmm. Like, for the first, you know, I don't know, half of the game at least, you, you right. can access all the puzzles at the same time and be following all of these different threads. And it's kind of distracting. Right, it, like, um, since we mentioned Day of the Tentacle earlier, I think this is, like, one of the ways that Day of the Tentacle kind of succeeded in its design is that like originally that game was going to start the same way where you'd get past a little intro bit at the beginning and then like it would just open up the entire game for you all at once where you had like Mm. access to every single area and then i think that they were getting early feedback on that that it was too confusing and too overwhelming so that's why the day of the tentacle has that layered approach where it like opens up part of the game and then you solve some Mm. puzzles and then it opens up a little more and then and so on yeah, yeah. So I think that maybe if Tony Tuff had done something similar, that might have made it a little easier if they had like just had part of the the park open for the first part, and then you solve some puzzles and open up the rest of it, and so right. on. 
Um, yeah. Um, let's talk about the game's sense of humor a little bit, because like, okay, this this was another <laughs> thing where I was initially really impressed with it. So when I played it the first time, like back in two thousand three, two thousand four, um, I I really liked the the humor because it's very verbose and very highbrow. Like it makes mm-hmm. a lot of uh, literary references that average Joe public probably won't get. Mm-hmm. And because at the time that I played it, I was in middle school and I was like being introduced to things like the Odyssey and, and William Blake and stuff like that, like for the mm-hmm. first time. So when I'd be going around along solving a puzzle and then Tony randomly quotes a scene out of the Odyssey, I was like, oh, ha ha ha. I get that joke because I'm, I'm so educated. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> but this time around, um, it felt very overbearing Mm-hmm. And like every joke was yeah. just rung way too tightly, like that they were just like, I don't know uh-huh. how to describe it. They're just like trying way too hard, basically. Yeah, it's like when you when you meet a new person and they have a really weird sense of humor. Yeah, <laughs> for, yeah, it's for like me, that. It kind right, of right. it kind of grew on me a little bit over time. Like once I yeah. kind of got in the mode of okay, this is how we're gonna play this, huh? <laughs> And it was like, well, okay. <laughs> yeah, right. I had the I had the same experience where, like, when I started the game, it was initially very off-putting, and I was just like, oh, this is not funny. This mm-hmm. is not as funny as I remember it. This is so mm-hmm. painful. But then, like, the further into the game I got, the more mm-hmm. I eased into the sense of humor and the more jokes I was laughing at. Um, so I don't know if the writing actually did improve as the game went on or if it was just that I was getting more acclimated to the game's kind of surreal... Mm-hmm. verbose sense of humor well there's there are less people to interact with than, as the game mm-hmm. goes along right so it's like you're not it's not as is uh apparent as you get further into the game that's true i did, I did appreciate, appreciate the oh sorry go ahead oh, no you can go ahead i did appreciate the um how frequently tony breaks the fourth wall mm-hmm. and just kind of like criticizes and lampoons the whole <laughs> structure of an adventure game Mm -hmm. Like, one of the things he'll tell you is using everything with everything won't get you far in a graphic adventure game. Mm -hmm. And and then um, there was one other thing he said that I thought was really funny, but it's escaping me now. Um, Oh, yeah. uh, If you do something really stupid, like you pick the wrong verb on an object where you're really not supposed to use that verb, he'll just look at you and say, I assume that you didn't mean to click on that, did you? (laughs) Uh Uh-huh. There's one I liked where he like he talks about how I knew you were going to ask me to do this, and so I thought long and hard about what my response is, and I think I finally got it figured out. And then he looks at the camera and he's like, "No." <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, sometimes like stuff like that, like I felt like the humor really worked, and, mm-hmm. and uh, you know I found it to be pretty funny. But then there are other times when it's just like they're just trying way too hard. Like mm-hmm. there's one line in in the park where, well, actually I don't know. I'll come back to this during the spoiler zone because I just realized that that, that's going to spoil a puzzle if I uh, say that. (laughs) Yeah, there's one line where he's just kind of like, yeah, I'll I'll come back to it. Um, What else? Yeah, I I, I agree with you that the the music um, was pretty good. I I felt like it was kind of good at being... um, inoffensive and just kind of in the background uh-huh. it's not doesn't really yeah. try too hard to get your attention the only um, song that was kind of grating was well there's like this you solve a puzzle and it starts playing like this this uh 
wild like circus music and you're like oh ha 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 this fits this scene but now every time you go back through the room subsequently it'll start playing that music again it it started to get on my nerves after a while just because it was like the rest of the music is quiet and contemplative and then you go there and it's like ah okay Uh uh-huh yeah um one thing i did like about the dialogue though is that every character you talk to you can go on these long tangential conversations with and it just feels like (laughs) it's i don't know it's like totally pointless and kind of distracting but uh-huh. it's also it's also kind of entertaining just to see how how much text did they put in here and you just keep going and going and going. <laughs> I just I found it kind of exhausting. Well, yeah, I mean, it was kind of exhausting too, and sometimes it made me feel sleepy. But it was like <laughs> there were other conversations <laughs> where I, just, I I did I was entertained by it. Conversely, yeah. the weird thing is that you know normally in adventure games when you talk to people, it'll eliminate some of the conversation options as you go along. Right. For some reason, it seemed like always the unimportant conversation options would stick around, and the ones where they actually give you the hint of what they want you to do to solve their puzzle will go away. Oh, and then that's it's bizarre. like so if you're not like paying attention or keeping careful notes, then you'll totally miss what they wanted you to do. Huh. I actually so, didn't notice. Um... I would tend to run away from like gigantic <laughs> conversation trees just because, mm-hmm. you know, you could talk to a character for a little bit and basically figure out what their yeah, problem is. Right. So like when the game like bombards you with like six paragraph length options for Tony to say, like, uh-huh. it was just kind of like my brain shut off and I'd look for the the one that's the <laughs> exit option so I could get out of it. Uh huh. But I, yeah, I, I, I would really... agree that there's a strange amount of detail and like how much you can talk to characters and the length mm-hmm. to which you can like talk to them about stuff. Mm-hmm. And also there's, there's also a strange amount of detail in like Tony, um, saying specific things for wrong answers. Mm-hmm. I found this, and this is actually a plus for the game that, um, I, th- I thought I kind of appreciated that, uh, even if it didn't really poke me in the right direction, I appreciated that like you could try an item on something and then he'd, he'd give you a specific answer to let you know that that wouldn't work. Mm-hmm. Um, even if it didn't really help you guide you to the right answer, you know, I appreciated that they put that level of detail in there. Yeah. I did find the characters in the game to be pretty unlikable across the board. Um, sadly, oh, no. most of all, Tony, um, <laughs> Tony kind of, um, I mean, he did grow on me the more I played the game, but mm-hmm. like I never got attached to him as a character. I'd never really got invested in his plight. Mm-hmm. I kind of felt like, I don't know, like I was being abused as a player. Like I would try <laughs> something and he would just ridicule you uh-huh, to uh-huh. no end. <laughs> just call you an idiot up, you know, just relentlessly. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Maybe I, it, it was just like yeah, my I frame could, of mind. Like you get back from a long day of work people, <laughs> People yelling at you and, and uh-huh. you know just being generally kind of hard to get along with, and then you sit down to play Tony Tough, and he just gives you more of the same. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I, I can see that. I, I, um, I yeah. There's a character that I like, but maybe I should wait to talk about specifics until later. Okay. Um, yeah, one thing that I thought was kind of weird, and this is um, this is the last thing I have to say about the characters in the game. They, it seemed like the game universe didn't really define very clearly who these people are. 
So, like, you go to Halloween Park, and the idea is that, like, most everybody you go talk to are, like, park employees, like mm-hmm. at Disney World where they're playing a part. But, like, the longer you talk to these people and just, like, the context around, you know, these park employees, it leads you to believe that they're actually personifying... Or they're actually <laughs> the people that they're personifying as, like, mm-hmm. park employee caricatures. It's really weird. It's, like, you go to this, like, pirate wharf town... Uh-huh. And then you, like, talk to all of these guys who are dressed up as pirates, and you assume, oh, these are, like, people employed by the park to act like pirates. And then the longer you talk to them, the more you realize, oh, wait, this is actually, like, a ship filled <laughs> with real-life pirates and in modern, you know, 21st century, you know, suburban city for some reason. Uh-huh. Okay. <laughs> and it's just like the char- the game is just littered with characters like that where it's not really clear are are you just playing a part because you work at this theme park or mm. are you actually this person it's yeah it's very weird and dreamlike mm-hmm. like sort of in the same way that the puzzles are kind of a little bit incoherent yeah it's like i i, I feel like it almost is kind of like a style that doesn't quite a hundred percent gel yeah like there's a, there's a sort of consistency to it. <laughs> once once you get far enough, you're realizing, oh, okay, this is not this is not very realistic, is it? <laughs> like it starts out reasonably like believable, and then the the rules of the world are just so so like so much more warped than you would expect going into it. The game universe's logic does tend to erode. Um, the further into the game you get, the less mm-hmm. sense it makes in terms of like being a coherent narrative yeah um yeah i don't know like i didn't i wouldn't say that i hated this game i i did enjoy parts of it Mm -hmm. i would say it's it's a flawed experience i think Mm -hmm. i would describe it if i were to just sum it up in a single expression i would say this is like the poor man's curse of monkey island Mm -hmm. where it's like it's kind of gives you kind of the same experience but it's not really the the triple a you know mm-hmm. experience that you relish yeah yeah but it's like it's you, got fun went, parts to it it's i think if you go into it prepared to just use uhs hints to solve puzzles you know there's there's a lot to <laughs> enjoy there as long as you're not going to beat yourself over the head with trying to actually figure out what what they wanted you to do right like i, I yeah. could recommend it pretty well in that capacity mm-hmm I thought there was yeah, as long as you're it. willing to go get hints and, you know, not question every single joke that mm-hmm. doesn't land, it's it's a pretty, you know, decent yeah. middle-of-the-road adventure game. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> do you have anything else you want to say, or, or would you like to go to spoiler zone? Uh, gosh, I feel like I had something earlier. <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember. I think we probably hit all the high points. All right, so we'll uh, go to intermission really quick, and then we'll come back and do spoilers for Tony Tough. And for our intermission today, Anton. Yes? I've got something that you didn't know about Tony Tough. Oh, man. What is it? Tony Tough, private investigator, also moonlights as a reggae singer. What? Except he changes the spelling of his last name from T-O-U-G-H to T-U-F-F. Who knew? Who knew? So enjoy this song by right. reggae singer Tony Tuff. They love the fancy clothes that you wear. And all the fancy way you comb your hair. 
Okay, so we're back. Now it's time to jump into spoilers for Tony Tough. <laughs> I don't actually know if there's that much to spoil. Um, let me, I guess yeah. we can go into talking about specific puzzles. Let's talk about the ending. Okay. Um, all right. I like how they so, tied up all the plot points. <laughs> just hastily and okay. at the last well, moment. Well, I could buy it. It made sense of what had come before. Well, I mean, yeah, basically. It, it did kind of... Uh, well, okay, so here's what happens. So, uh, as you're exploring Halloween Park, you discover that there's a castle. And this is, like, the next big area that you need to explore. So Tony goes into a castle and discovers that there's a giant mechanical beanstalk inside of the castle. And that's kind of strange, but that's the next place we need to go. So he, uh, after solving many obtuse puzzles, Tony figures out how to get to the top of the mechanical beanstalk. And up there at the very mm-hmm. top, he, uh, he rescues his dog, Pantagruel, who, who goes back down to the bottom. And Tony encounters um, his lifelong question mark nemesis, Jack O'Lantern. Who turns out to be a a trick or treater, ne'er do well. Who like his next it, door neighbor who in the next intro shoots a slingshot at him, so he falls out of the window. Yeah, he shoots and, a slingshot at Tony Tuff, and then the rock bounces off of Tony Tuff's head and causes a Rube Goldberg-like chain of events that causes a massive pumpkin to land on this kid's head. And now he's sworn revenge. And so he spends the next 20 to 30 years of his life stealing candy and melting it down into sugar and building this enormous pumpkin that he can then drop on Tony's head. Note that the pumpkin is bigger than the entire park, but cannot be seen from the ground. <laughs> but it's suspended by, like, a single rope. This, this is, right, this on is top where of we're at giant with this, mechanical with this game beanstalk. universe, and it's pretty great. Right, it's like so, you couldn't even see the beanstalk when you're not at the castle, I don't think. It was very strange. I mean, it's like all of the like backgrounds or their their perspective is such that you can't you like you can't well, really tell. I guess that's but, true. But you see the castle anyway. from far away. Well, that's true. I sub- yeah, that's I a good point. When you're going across the bridge, you can see the castle, but you can't see the beanstalk. It's just, it's it's more. It's I mean, it goes back to it being kind of dreamlike, I guess. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I I don't either. Um, so anyway, we're at this stage of the fever dream where Tony is on top of a giant mechanical beanstalk and he's confronted by a, a an adult man who has this giant pumpkin stuck to his head. And so basically he tells Tony this whole plot about how he's been stealing candy from kids and building this humongous pumpkin to drop on Tony's head. And what the the finale essentially boils down to is you just pick your way through some conversation options and then the ending solves itself. There's no and final puzzle, yeah. There's no he, final puzzle, he, but Jack O'Lantern falls like, off. He draws a lipstick face on his hand and puts the wig <laughs> on his hand and he makes it look like his secretary, his imaginary secretary. And while Jack O'Lantern is looking at his hand, he punches him in the face. And Jack O'Lantern falls to his presumed death, but he miraculously survives the fall. And his pumpkin head comes off, and he swears to change his life, but then the giant sugar pumpkin lands on his head in an ironic twist of fate. But then the real (laughs) ironic twist of fate is because this beanstalk is no longer supporting this massive pumpkin, 
It slingshots Tony Tough into the upper atmosphere. And apparently Tony is eternally trapped in the upper atmosphere as this flaming comet that you can sometimes see if you're watching <laughs> if you look at up night. at night. <laughs> it's just the most, most like bizarre like out of left field like th- way to end this i don't understand seriously it's like it was like okay, well okay so, all right yeah so, okay so so did tony die he's he just dead? He's, he's a meteorite now <laughs> it's so and then weird. they made tony tough too but it's a prequel because he doesn't have anywhere to go from being a meteorite forever <laughs> <laughs> although the way this world works i wouldn't be surprised if they made a sequel that's like they just pretend that didn't happen <laughs> Well, no, I I mean, I would, like, it's it would probably so be one of those things. It's so strange. It's so bizarre. It's, like, it not even mean... bizarre in a funny way. It's just head-scratchingly bizarre. Uh-huh. But, and, and then they have this narrator who's, like, apologizing. He says, I hope you enjoyed the game. Please don't be too mad at the developers. They really tried their hardest. <laughs> <laughs> but then it turns out that the narrator was the man at the bottom of the wishing well? I guess. I think. I don't know. That's I don't so know. Weird. It was strange. I don't understand why I made a mask out of phlegm. <laughs> why did I do that? <laughs> so yeah, to get to the top of the mechanical beanstalk, you have to use this face scanning machine. And the only mm-hmm. other person in the castle who's authorized to use the face scanning machine is this maid that you can basically like talk to forever, and this is like all kinds mm-hmm. of wacky conversation options, <laughs> like. Well, because anyway. she, she thinks, you tell her you're a private detective, and she's like, no, you're not, you're lying to me. You can go on uh-huh. with, for, like, seven or eight lines of dialogue trying to convince her that you really are a private detective. And they remind me of the uh, the maid from Day of the Tentacle who mm-hmm. thinks you're George Washington. Basically the same character. And then it's like, so you finally give up, and you tell her you're a famous scientist, and then she believes you immediately. And it's just like, well, okay, all right. And then it's like... And it's like you can get her to like participate in a, an experiment to see if she can see out of the back of her head. And you steal her and detergent. You well, steal her detergent, and then it's like it's implied that she succeeds in this experiment of being able to see out of the back of her head, but uh-huh. that's never addressed. <laughs> it's so great. It's so strange. What does it mean? I don't know. There's oh, so much. Then there's like this random jester wearing a green jester costume who's who's in the castle. This is another mm-hmm. example of like one of those characters where it's like, it's never explained if they're a park employee or if they if actually it's an believe actual that literal jester. It, it's an actual literal castle jester. And it's like, you burn his eyes out. Then he becomes this like beggar <laughs> in front of the castle. And, and then, then you drop like, a gargoyle. You drop him. a gargoyle on his head to steal his stuffed dog. And it's like, okay. <laughs> All right. Oh yeah. Yeah. But so, but then, and then you use the stuffed dog to trip the maid so that she will fall on the ground and make a, a like concrete like impression of her face in the in the floor and then you can fill it with sheep phlegm which will then harden with bellows and then you have a mask made out of phlegm that you can use to get into the mechanical beanstalk Ta-da! i mean it's but like, i can't pretend that this is a change in direction given that at the start of the game you go to an outhouse and there's like a white alligator inside <laughs> And he only comes out to growl at you, like, when you squeak a fence gate. Uh-huh. Or, yeah, yeah or anything. Just, this game is so weird on so many levels. It's just, like... It's, yeah, I, it's it, it's trip, man. 
it's a trip and a half, as as wow, Louis man. would say. Ah, Louis. <clears throat> um. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I, I have to say something. Well, we were talking about the sheep that sneezes off all the phlegm that you need to use later. Um, something that I thought was kind of confusing. So you know how you need to use the watering can on the sheep mm-hmm. to make him cold, to make him uh-huh. sneeze out all the phlegm? Uh-huh. So you can actually use the watering can on the sheep while he still has all his wool, and it will not do anything. Okay. And I found this to be very confusing as I was trying to genuinely solve castle puzzles. So uh-huh. like, I, I'll try watering the sheep. I bet nothing will happen. And then Tony no, just, just waters. He waters him and he <laughs> does doesn't he make any cum. He doesn't say anything. He just waters the sheep. Okay. All right. <laughs> yeah, okay. I can, I can see that. And it's just like, then so I, I look at I look at my, my little packet of LSD that I'm holding in my hand. I'm just like, no more. No more. That's enough. That's all. I like the part where there's a depressed clown played aptly by John St. John of Duke Nukem fame. And, and yeah, he, John St. John. He's, he's depressed about his career as being a clown, and he eats, he eats cat food. And then it's like, how do I make him feel better? Let's put dentures in a trash can, and then he'll think it's a child. And then he'll do all his tricks, and he'll be like, wow, he's still smiling. And he'll be all excited. And it's, it's confusing to me. There's also a um, a wooden shack in Halloween Park. If you go inside, there's a fishbowl with a piranha in it. Uh-huh. And, and it's like, then you can push a button on the wall that will take Tony to a DOS prompt. Like, it uh-huh. shuts the game down, I guess. And then, like, if you, saw, if you can get out of the shack, it turns into an elevator that takes you to this underground series of apartments that are under, underneath, the, underneath Halloween Park. Mm-hmm. And this is like, okay... <laughs> Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess that's supposed to be like the underground tunnels at Disney World where it's like you can find these secret passages and there's like living arrangements and stuff underneath Disney World I guess is what they were going for um, <laughs> it's just like so there's so much stuff like that where it's just like non sequiturs that don't compute uh huh it, it was all rather strange so it's like, I don't feel bad about using UHS hints, but I can't help mm-hmm. but wonder if something wasn't, like, lost in translation. <clears throat> yeah, like, when you said that the first time, like, I could think of several instances from, like, the LucasArts catalog where the answer to the solution would be based on, like, a verbal, like, wordplay pun. Mm-hmm. Well, like, the monkey wrench in, in yeah. Monkey Island 2. It's like, would that joke translate to foreign versions of the game? Like, do, does everybody have a, an equivalent term for monkey wrench? Uh-huh. And it's like I bet I wonder if like German players of Monkey Island Two would be super confused like why using a monkey on this on this pump makes yeah, it exactly. do something. Probably there's some stuff like that. Like if I knew what shrimp canapes were, I might have thought of putting some gum on a piece of old toast. <laughs> I I don't know maybe. Well, or or like <laughs> using the the boar's foot as a crowbar to open a box. Okay, yeah, yeah. That that was yeah. That was the most confusing puzzle for me. But because <laughs> there's this box and he won't interact with it and he won't tell you why not. None In of fact, your items. If you will try work to do it. things with it, he just makes fun of you. It's like yeah, he, there's no like there's only the default like that's not a valid choice text that comes up when you try to do stuff to it. Right. Like, so it's like so kind, of kind of discouraging you. Yeah. I just gave up. I was just like, okay, it's just a box. You know, it's probably not important. But if you if you give a megaphone to a foam zombie, 
then the sound will become so loud that the foot will <laughs> fall off of a stuffed boar. And then because the toe looks like it's a cloven hoof, it looks like a crowbar, so you can open this box. Oh, And of course, okay. it, has, well, that... it, has, it has a boulder inside, you know, don't, don't you know? <laughs> yeah, cause it's got to have a boulder inside. <laughs> uh, obviously. Can, so here's the thing that I thought was the most confusing, and this is not actually a puzzle. This is okay. just a game design thing that I thought was super confusing. All right. When you get about halfway through the castle, Tony will monologue to, like, nobody about how he feels that he has gained a new ability in life. And so then, for some reason, the game will give you a fifth verb coin option. So Uh up to this point, you've had look at, use, take, and talk to. Uh But you get a fifth option about halfway through the last half of the game called show yourself. And for the life of me, even after playing this twice now... I could not figure out, like, what the purpose is I, for this. Yeah, I never found anything that he would actually do it with. It's like you could you could sometimes kick off conversation trees by showing yourself to people. It would, like, substitute as talk to. And I then, guess like, I, I think could, Yeah, I worked on you, the gesture, I guess. Yeah, and I think you can show yourself to the, the lady sleeping in the giant cake. Okay. Um, but, yeah, it's like, why is this here? It's like, what, what do you gain... It's like, it wasn't even, like, a funny joke. And again, maybe it's something they got lost in translation, but, like, it, it, it didn't strike me as being particularly funny. So it's like, why why, why is this yeah. here? <laughs> I don't know. We're like, I know. Let's talk to this woman sleeping inside a giant cake to ask her if she has megaphone batteries. That, that <laughs> seems like it makes sense. And then she's like, oh, yeah, I have my Walkmans in here. Have a, have a, have a battery. Well, so that only... I, I only... Th- found that to be logical because i had already combed the entire castle for batteries well yeah and out, of, out of sheer desperation i go talk to the lady in the cake and i'm like hey do you have batteries and it's just like it's like oh of course, well okay of course yeah yeah duh <laughs> I, what, one thing that really struck me though is that uh-huh. you know most adventure games they give you like an overarching objective and then they give you like sub objectives and it's like okay you got to go do this thing so you can do this thing so you can get to your yeah objective. right yeah yeah got to get the list or of like three things Monkey Island they always yeah they always do the three things and in this game you get the big objective at the start of the game which is go rescue your dog Panther Girl yeah and then it's like you get to the park and you're like okay and you talk to all, all the characters you can ask them okay have you seen my purple dog and they're like yeah I saw you know a guy with a big head carrying him that way and you track him down to the castle. And there's uh-huh. a guard at the castle, and then basically you have to, from that point, you have to solve half the puzzles in the entire game to move forward from that one choke point. Yeah. So it's like, and then after you get past that one point, then it's like, okay, well, you talk to the maid and you figure out Pandagruel and Jack O.L. are at the top of the beanstalk. Right. So you solve the entire set of second puzzles to get to that point, but there are uh-huh. no real sub-objectives that have any sort of logical motivation. <clears throat> for any of this it's like yeah you you're solving puzzles because you know you have to solve puzzles to make progress but you there's no way that you'd know that any of this has any bearing on your your big objective right yeah so like going back to day of the tentacle is like a counter example the way that game uh is structured is like yes there's one big objective you're working to but you have like a smaller objective in front of you Mm-hmm. And it's like you can like solve that, and then you get like a step closer to your big objective. And it's mm-hmm. like, okay, now I got to solve this problem. And it's like it's in a series of small steps. The the game tells you what you need to do next as you work towards your big, seemingly impossible goal. Mm-hmm. So it's like 
Yeah, you get to the guard in front of the castle, and it's like you have no idea, like, what the... And the because the puzzles are so illogical, you know, there's no point in guessing. So you have no idea what, <laughs> what any way to get past this guard. And you, you, nothing you pick up seems like it'll help at all. And it's like, I don't know. Well, in a way, like, the uh, getting the getting rid of the guard in front of the castle... Mm-hmm. It's yeah. like one of those three things puzzles right, right, from Monkey right. Island. It's just that they yeah. don't tell you what the three and things are. It's like if you if if you had if Tony had said, Well, in order to get rid of this guy, I'll need a rabbit, a rope, and mm-hmm. a dog whistle. It's like, well, okay, now I've got my three goals. Mm-hmm. Well, I feel like once you make it I mean, this should really should have been at the start of the park, but once you make enough progress to meet Lorenz, he gives you a list of things to collect, and that's kind of like, okay, these are some sub objectives. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I thought the first half of the game was better about this, but once you get into the castle, there's, it loses all semblance of, like, direction. Because mm-hmm. nothing has any reason or rhyme to it, and I don't know why I'm doing any of these things, except that there You're are You're just solving puzzles done. for the sake of solving puzzles. It's like, I'm launching this, I need to get a boulder so I can launch this catapult, but I don't know why I'm launching this catapult or what impact it will have on any of the rest of the stuff in the castle. Right. I don't know. It's like, you know, going back know. to the the Lorenz puzzles. Um, I was a little frustrated by the fact that he gives you this recipe for like five things you need to collect for him to like say a magic incantation and figure out where Panda Girl is. But you never already know where Panda that, Girl is. Yeah, never mind the fact that you can deduce from talking to people in the park that he's in the castle. Uh huh. And the fact that this this um getting all the ingredients for this guy basically doesn't move the plot forward in any capacity other than it gets rid of him so that you can get the rabbit out of his hat after he leaves. That's like yeah. the only thing you gain from do- going on this whole long laundry list. But anyway, so he gives you a list of five things to collect and it's like the game can't make up its mind on whether you need to actually collect these exotic items or you need to do the humorous um, monkey Island style substitutions where you get things that are sort of close because it's like some things on the list you actually need to get like the gallbladder and then there are other mm-hmm. things where it's like this doesn't exist in the game so just substitute something in like instead of milk you have to give it white paint. Well yeah, see that's the thing. It's like I'm down for substitute ingredients, but white paint is not not anywhere related to milk in any capacity. Like if it it's were like cheese, the... I could see cheese. Uh-huh. But not white not white paint. Other than it just visually looks like milk. Yeah, so it, it all comes down to visuals. You you go down to this this pump that's pumping out sewage, and you pick up a glass of sewage, and that that counts as coffee. And it's like, oh, okay, this is this is kind of um, alarming. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> also, the fact that you just like pick up sewage, and then this Tony gets this glass out of nowhere. Yeah, it's, it's like, it's how like pun- punishing you, you just for. Take it. It's like, yeah, yeah, it's like the game is punishing you for st- sitting there at the sewage pump trying to figure out what could I put sewage in so I can pick it up. Never mind mm-hmm. the fact you can just say pick up sewage and Tony will like materialize this drinking glass out of nowhere and pick it up and he'll just say, don't ask me where I got the glass. <laughs> I don't understand. <laughs> was, that, was that the answer for coffee? I thought you had to like mix it with rum or something. No, that was the, uh, that was, instead of it getting a cherry, you put a sucker into a, a mug of rum, and it dissolves it into something that into tastes fruit like, juice. Into fruit juice. Oh, that was the fruit juice, right, right. Yeah. The cherry was actually a tomato. 
I don't understand. I, I don't. I, 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 at that point, I was just like, okay, whatever, whatever you say, game. I, I'm, I'm along for the ride. <laughs> so we've been ranting about puzzles for quite a while now. Do we want to do best puzzle, worst puzzle? Let's do it. I actually haven't talked about any of my worst puzzles. I've got multiple, oh, actually. I have I had, one. <laughs> I, I had a really hard time picking. I know puzzle. my worst puzzle. I know my best puzzle too. There's some some good ones. Do you want to go first? Uh, okay. So my best puzzle was. Um, so I'm trying to remember how it went now. Yeah. So <laughs> there's this wishing well, and you can talk down into it to make your wishes, and then it cuts down, and then it shows you there's an old guy at the bottom of the well. Yeah. Uh huh. And then it's like, so yeah. Get then you later you get this can of gasoline, and it's like. I don't remember what the... Oh, right. So you have a candle, and you need to light a candle. But there's no other fire in the castle that you can reach. So you throw this can of gasoline into the wishing well. Because you can <laughs> see when you're talking to him that the old man at the bottom has a candle on his table. And right. this giant, it blows up, and this giant ball of fire shoots out the top of the of the well and like lights your candle. And it's it's just so, so over the top. It's so over the top and so extravagant. For such like a small like step forward, like all you're trying to do is light a little birthday candle. <laughs> so I I thought that was really entertaining, but also I appreciated that it was reasonably rational and that they didn't like directly like clue you into what you're supposed to do. Right. So, like some of the puzzles, like switching out Rufus or no, not switching out, like using the uh, clown hammer with the Rufus Strongman contest, were pretty obvious because he had a hammer too, and you're like, oh okay, the hammers must be connected. Uh huh. So, but this was this one was a little bit more subtle. Conversely, yeah, like it it, it rewarded you for being observant and noticing right. that there were a bunch of candles at the bottom of this well that would catch on fire, mm-hmm. or or would explode rather. Right, than right. You threw a can of gasoline down there. Plus, I'm just kind of a sucker for wanton destruction in these games. <laughs> um, okay, what was your worst puzzle? Well, so my worst puzzle was. This is a hard mode puzzle, I think, based on what I saw in UHS hints, is that to get the cauldron to mix up Lorenz's magic soup, um, <laughs> you have to increase the flow of water on a fountain that has a witch holding oh, a cauldron on it. Right. And to increase the water flow in the fountain, you need to cl- plug up another fountain somewhere else in the park. And I got that far. Right. I was like, so how far, do I so plug good. this up? And then I was like, oh, of course, I have this stuffed animal. I'll just stuff it in the fountain, like like so, and then he just sticks it in there. And there's no, he doesn't make any comments about it or ha ha ha. I why did this even work? It just he just does it, and it's like okay, <laughs> all right. It's like yeah, why why I out of all up. the things you have in your inventory, why it, a stuffed animal? Well, yeah, and it's like the stuffed animal looks like pan- panda girl. So I was like, oh, they're gonna make me save this for the end of the game, and I'm gonna have to swap it out for kidnapped panda girl, and it'll fool somebody. But yeah. no, you use it to plug up a fountain. It's like, why does why does Tony know. find this stuffed animal at the park that happens to look exactly like his pet taper? And then he, he stuffs it in the fountain. And then he's like, I, I don't know, I can't. What's the significance? <laughs> what does it mean? What does it mean? So okay. I actually... <laughs> I'm going to back up a bit. My best puzzle was actually not any of the traditional adventure game puzzles because I thought those were kind (laughs) of problematic across the board. Mm -hmm. The one that I enjoyed the best out of all of them was the 13 Pumpkins minigame. And that is just because um, 
just for the the sheer fact that it's like it's one of the few instances in the game where you're rewarded for logical thinking mm-hmm. where it's like you sit down and analyze the problem it's like okay i gotta land on pumpkin number 13 you work your way backwards and think well okay then that means in order to control 13 i have to land on this one in order to control that one i have to mm-hmm. land on this one you work your way backwards yeah it's basically the game of nim if if you know what that is mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um which i had actually forgotten about anton reminded me what it was called um before we recorded mm-hmm. um but yeah that was that was the one where i just felt proud of myself like oh yeah solved that all by myself yeah um so that was my best puzzle my worst puzzle like i said a lot of the puzzles in this game are kind of problematic i have a three-way tie if we're allowed to do that okay <laughs> i'll i'll, I'll, I'll pick, let it slide I'll, I'll pick okay i'll got a three-way tie between the taper stuffing in the fountain puzzle that you mentioned just because why mm-hmm. it's like any number of items in your inventory could have worked there why does it have to be the stuffed taper mm-hmm. that and there is another puzzle in the game where you have to take an earthworm and freeze <laughs> oh, it yeah, in a freezer a so okay so the, so to get into that shack that i mentioned earlier to get down to the underground apartment tunnels you have to like get past this door that has the old key still in the keyhole business so it's like mm-hmm. you put the piece of paper under the door and you got to poke the key out and make it land on the paper we've done this a million times in adventure games we know how this works so the question is what do you use to poke the key out of the keyhole and the answer dear friends is that you have to take an earthworm, stick him in a freezer, and freeze the earthworm solid. <laughs> so that now he's like a pointy stick earthworm, and then stick him through the keyhole. And Given like, that the, you pick up an actual wooden stick on the same screen as the, yeah. the shack. It's like, that would make more sense to use the stick that you just picked up on the same screen. Yeah. Why, why? I mean, to be fair, he does make a comment if you try to put the earthworm in the keyhole when it's not frozen. He's like, he's just wiggling around in there and not pushing the key out. <laughs> Come on, little guy. Or something why, like that. Why would you think that in the first well, yeah. place? Yeah, I don't know. Like, I could I see if you, like, if you, like, opened the freezer and there was a frozen earthworm in there. I could see that. It's like, oh, here's a frozen earthworm randomly. Well, okay, that's kind of weird, but I could use it. Maybe but, like, they're kind of the... hoping you'll get halfway there by, like, trying to find things you can freeze. But I wouldn't be, like, just sticking random inventory items in the freezer hoping that I could freeze them. Well, it's like, there's one only one item that you can put in the oven, so there's probably only one item you can put in the freezer. Is a somewhat... <laughs> I guess. Lo- is a some, it's, a, just... it's a tang- It's a marginally logical thought process. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, if, I guess if I, I just know. stood in front of the freezer trying random things on it... I, then, I was at know, that point just, a couple of times. Just ignore Tony constantly yelling at you, using everything with everything won't get too far in a graphic adventure mm-hmm. game. It's just like, I have to, Tony. You don't understand. <laughs> ah, um, make your puzzles make more sense. So the third one in my three-way tie is cutting the rope to get the gargoyle to land on the jester in the castle. Now, there's nothing okay. wrong with the puzzle itself. It makes perfect sense that you would cut the rope oh. to get it to land on him. Mm-hmm. The problem that I ran into is that for whatever reason, the designers chose to make it so that Tony will refuse to cut the rope unless he has a good reason for doing so. And I'm like, okay, um, maybe if I just go talk to the jester enough, he'll, Tony will get irritated enough with him that he'll cut the rope. So this was one of those times where I'm like, okay, I'll just go through the entire 
you know, mm-hmm. set of conversation options and just talk to this guy until I've exhausted everything. And, you know, you can talk to him about the weather. You can talk to him about <laughs> this es- this essay by a philosopher on how, you know, society has to have homeless people in order for society to progress <laughs> and to keep the population ceiling at a reasonable level. Mm-hmm. You can talk to him about all kinds of things. And it's just like, it can't seem to trigger it to get it so that Tony will cut the rope and drop the gargoyle on him. What I finally realized after trying all sorts of things is that it, you, what you have to do is you have to try to steal the, the stuffed dog from the jester and then Tony will get frustrated with him because he thinks that he's faking being blind and then this is the, the catalyst for inspiring Tony to drop the gargoyle on him. And I think what irked me about this the most is that Tony's done all sorts of horrible things to people up to this mm-hmm. point. Like, just ruined people's lives right and left and, you mm-hmm. know, with no no sign of slowing down or feeling bad about it. But now, now all of a sudden he won't drop a gargoyle on a character because he doesn't have a good reason well, actually, for it. Well, did actually, who, whose life did he ruin, though? Uh, well, let's see. Rufus decided to quit his job at the park because okay, he was depressed. True. He traumatized the pirate. Uh, lo- Traumatized the pirate. Uh, Lorenz poofed away in a green cloud of smoke. Um, yeah, that else? may not have been Tony's fault. Maybe. <laughs> we don't know. Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, the pirate guy who's who's traumatized by the deck of cards. We don't, um, yeah. No, yeah, I, I know you, what you're saying. You, know, you, you, like... feed, you feed the, the cooked chicken with the sleeping pills in it to the guy, and he passes out at the bar. Mm-hmm. You steal his keys, and... Mm-hmm. Um, well, yeah, maybe he didn't actually ruin that many people's lives. I don't but, know. You yeah, know, just typical no, fare yeah, for an adventure right. game where it's just like it's like they'll take a character and make them really annoying, so you know you have to you have to like comically you know ruin them in some way. Uh huh. Actually, going back to Lorenz for a second, I just made a connection. Um, you know the scene where he goes into a trance and he's like gargling up green liquid oh man and it reminded this me is of, like phantasmagoria i was gonna say that last oh, year's man. halloween game uh where uh the, the homeless lady goes into a trance and like throws up a bunch of green goo and then it talks to you man and then it talks to you it's like is this gonna be a a running theme for our oh our man next halloween year. adventure games gotta pick a game that's got green goo being vomited up by one of the characters it's, and it's, it's gotta have now. pushing a key out of a keyhole onto a piece of paper these right, because Phantasmagoria also had that pat- puzzle. <laughs> <laughs> it's a Halloween thing. You wouldn't understand. <sighs> okay, so yeah, I'm done ranting. That's I feel kind like, of cathartic. <laughs> yeah, it is. I mean, I feel like I had about a 50% batting average when it came to solving the puzzles. I was yeah. able to get about half of them, and then the other half is just like, I give up. I'm, I'm going to UHS hints. Mm-hmm. In some ways, it, you know, I, I, I could, like not feel bad about that because i knew i had to beat this game on a time limit i think i would have felt worse if it was just like i was playing this for fun and i couldn't figure it out and mm-hmm. like, you know if i could just spend a few more days on it you know maybe i would figure out that you know you're supposed to like open the squeaky gate to get him to step on the skateboard and you know i feel like after a few of these i probably would have caved without any guilt yeah. Because some of those uh, are just not very solvable unless you do try everything with everything. And the fact that I had played the game once before didn't seem to help because I had honestly forgotten like 90% of these puzzles mm-hmm. somehow. 
There I only no... had very vague, sketchy memories of this game. And there are basically no hints to push you in the right direction, so it's kind of right. problematic. Right, it, it's a very unrelenting, difficult game that doesn't really do much to help you beat it. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I don't know. It's a mixed bag for me. Like, mm-hmm. I, I enjoyed parts of it. Like you said, it's very pretty. It's got a lot of really lavish animation. You know, mm-hmm. music's pretty good. Some of the puzzles are all right. Some of the humor's all right. Um, mm-hmm. Some of the humor misses. A lot of the puzzles don't click for me. Um, yeah, just kind of like when it's when it was all over and it was, the credits were rolling at like an extremely <laughs> slow speed. Uh huh. Like I was just kind of like, well, glad that's over. Uh huh. Yeah. I don't know. I think it, it's it, yeah. It's like I said earlier. I think it, it's fun if you just give up before you even start and just have a guide <laughs> on hand, right? And just go along for the ride. Yeah, it's like you can. It's got entertaining, you know, segments to it. I do have to say, I want, I want to highlight my favorite character is the pirate guy, and the reason oh, he's yeah. great is because of the skull on his hat. And it's like it blinks at you while you're talking to him, and then it's like when he hide, hides behind that barrel. Then the skull will hop off his hat and hide behind the hat in the same way. Oh, right. I forgot about that. Yeah, that was pretty <laughs> it, funny. It, it was just great. The pirate guy sounded really familiar. He the did. The voice actor. Internet Movie Database doesn't list who played him, though. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, he sounds really... Maybe it was John St. John again. Oh, yeah, it could be. You could picture that. I, I, I like that the characters... All the characters seemed like they generally had like some verbal tick. Like when you go talk to Mortar and he'd be like, "It's the truth." Yeah, yeah, right. Like all the time, it's like uh-huh. it, it, it made them. You know, they did a good job of giving them all like interesting characters. Yeah, right. I don't know. Yeah, I mean the characters were pretty interesting. I just didn't find them to be like right. They they were just kind of generally unsettling, I guess. Mm-hmm. They were just kind of like weird and. Like, you didn't really want to associate with these people. Like that guy that's throwing up forever. Right, yeah, the guy who never stops throwing up, or, or the uh, the old lady who's living in the underground apartments who's lost her cat. Mm-hmm. And then it's, like, implied that in the process of trying to return her cat, you accidentally kill it, and she doesn't seem to care that it's dead. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, well, yeah. I mean, the posters do, the one, uh, missing posters do say dead or alive, so... Oh, <laughs> I, I didn't actually notice that. That's funny. Um, so, yeah, maybe I'm being too harsh on it. Um, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, but no, I don't disagree, though. It is kind of troubled. And a lot of the a lot of the dialogue is kind of... Hackneyed. I don't know. Yeah, it's just super overcooked. Like, it's just like all, all the jokes and all the humor are way, like, overexposed. And it's just like, okay, I get it. I get it. But, mm-hmm. you know, you got to kind of go along with it, I guess. Right, right. It's doing its own thing. So would you recommend this game to somebody? Um, there are other games I'd recommend first, but if somebody asked me, hey, I saw this game, should I play it? I would say, sure. <laughs> <laughs> and I would, I would warn them to use UHS hints. But I... Yeah. I I feel like I'm going to say the same thing when we play Discworld, because I remember that one having some really illogical puzzles. Yeah, actually, you know, from what I remember of Discworld, the first one at least, Tony Tough is like a cakewalk by comparison. Because mm-hmm. not only is Discworld like 
probably about twice as dense as Tony Tough in terms of inventory items and characters. It's also extremely buggy. It's just mm-hmm. like riddled with glitches and issues and things falling apart. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but Eric Idle. But, but Eric Idle. That's your old pal. It's <laughs> your old, old buddy, Eric Idle. I don't know. Um, yeah, I, I think if somebody asked me, hey, I found this t- game, Tony Tough, should I play it? I would probably... Um, I, yeah, I would run probably. Away! I no, I'd, I'd probably say like, um, yeah, probably the same thing as you just make sure you have got a guide handy and don't feel bad if you can't solve all the puzzles. Yeah, I mean it's got it's not like a game. It's not a repelling game. It's not a game where you pick it up and you play it and you're like, ugh, this just hurts to play. My eyes are dying. Well, that was like that was how I felt during the first session when you're introduced to Tony Tuff <laughs> as a character and. I, I, could, like, I could imagine that, yeah. And, but it's like, if you have patience with it and, and work mm-hmm. through it, it's like, it does improve as it goes on. Like, yeah. the humor does seem to get a little bit better written, and, like, the puzzles generally improve as, as the game goes on. I felt like I was able to solve more of the puzzles on average in the castle portion of the game than I did in the park portion of the game. For whatever yeah, that's well, worth. Well, the castle is less um, populated, for sure, with puzzles and mm-hmm. characters. And it's a little bit easier to manage, like, well, okay, I know where all the rooms are. I know what's interactive. I know, like, what my options are. Um, mm-hmm. It's a little little easier to manage than the park, where you just feel like you're drowning in hot spots and characters right. and potential things to do. Yeah, but the puzzle where you have to get the pigeons to poop on the floor and then you trip the maid with, like, a dog leash. That was mm-hmm. that was the where I was like, okay. All right, I'm, 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 this is not, this is not even real. What am I even playing? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 So you want to rate it? Give it a grade? All right. Um... I'd give it a C plus. I think mm. that 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 seems fair. It's not great, and it's not even very good. But I would say it's a it's okay. It's all right. You know, mm-hmm. I, I, I I I enjoyed it. Not not a disaster. Well, it's yeah, not a, not a huge disaster. It's a small disaster. <laughs> it's an entertaining like disaster. That- you sound like that guy from Green Acres that would constantly, like, <laughs> correct himself as uh-huh. he was speaking. Mm-hmm. He's like, well, it's not great. Well, it's not very good either. Well, it's not a disaster. Uh-huh. Well, it's not a total disaster. It's a small disaster. Uh-huh. It's a small disaster. Yeah, H- Hank. Hank Kimball, yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Basically, I'm, this is the Hank Kimball of adventure games. <laughs> and I'll stand by that. I don't know what All it right. means. Well, so I was also going to go with a C, um, but I feel like I've already spoken about all my reasonings for why mm-hmm. I feel like it's sort of an average middle-of-the-road adventure game that's not too terrible, but also not a classic either. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It is just okay. One of these days, we should just pick out a game that's just, like, really atrocious. I thought that was Phantasmagoria. Oh, well, that was, that was pretty bad. But I would I would say that it's only a little bit worse than Tony Tough. 
And even I, even better in some respects. I feel like we need to like just make it a tradition for our Halloween game every year. We just pick a really awful Halloween game. <laughs> not not that Tony Tough was really awful. Like I think we we agree that it had some merits and it was you mm. know pretty pretty okay. But like Phantasmagoria, I think was had m- more. Um, it had more problems, but it was it also more, the puzzles were more decent. I don't think I had, had to look anything up for that. No, Phantasmagoria is definitely easier, but it had more, like, mechanical issues of just being mm-hmm. a bad game. Let's play Gabriel Knight. I heard that was good. <laughs> That's not a Halloween game. Yeah, it is. It's spooky voodoo. Oh, yeah. I was thinking, uh, you know about the mystery of the druids meme? Oh, with man. With the screaming guy on the yeah, cover? Yeah. We should do that for our Halloween oh, game man. next year. Okay. All right. I'm kind of torn between that one and the one called Ripper. That stars Christopher Walken. It's oh, another man. awful 90s FMV oh, spooky game. What about Seventh Guest? Well, you got Seventh Guest also. I think that one's supposed to be pretty decent, though. We gotta like, keep. We apart gotta, from the fact that it's old. We gotta keep the podcast going at least long enough that we play all the Halloween games. All the Halloween adventure all, games. Exactly. That's that's the. Then when we finish them all, then we'll, we can stop. That's that's enough. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Um, <laughs> played all the Nancy so, Drew games, all, all those. So speaking of annual traditions, um, I think we're we're done with Tony Tough unless you had something else you wanted to say. Nah, I think I, I think I said my piece. Yeah, I got it all out of my system. Um, so speaking of annual traditions, uh, listeners may recall that last November, um, we played the uh, DS. Uh, visual novel nine hours nine persons nine doors which we all pretty much generally enjoyed yeah um and i so we've decided that we're going to be going back to the 999 world or the zero escape series i guess is what it's called Mm -hmm. so for our next episode we are going to be playing the sequel to 999 virtue's last reward which phil has recommended that we you know play press on with the series basically mm-hmm. um i have not played this but phil has played it and i know that you've played it anton yeah um so I, i'm kind of gonna be the odd man out who hasn't played it um previously it's a um, good game i like it i liked it all right yeah i'm looking forward to it i, I did really enjoy 999 i thought it had a great atmosphere to it yeah um so i'm, I'm really looking forward to getting back into that universe Uh um so if you guys out there listening to this podcast have thoughts or reviews on um virtue's last reward uh send it in to podcast at ridgewayfilms.com and we will read your thoughts and comments and reviews on the show yeah and i think we also may potentially have a mini-sode planned for next month as well um that's kind of up in the air at the moment so it kind of just depends on if we have time to, to cover it. Mm-hmm. Stay, Stay tuned. tuned. Yeah. And I think since we're kind of winding down with this year, um, like I said earlier in the podcast, I was playing around with um, potential schedules for next year. Um, so if anyone out there has an idea for a game that we, sh- we should tackle in the next year of three cast episodes, um, again, send it in to podcast at ridgewayfilms.com and uh, we will consider it for our game list next year. Um, we're, we really want to uh, 
cater to what you guys want to hear us talk about. So, yeah, un- unless it's you know super offensive mm-hmm. or something. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, none of that. Yeah, that, that no one leisure game. suit, Larry. <laughs> <laughs> no, none of that. Maybe police quest. We <laughs> might let that slide. <laughs> um, okay. Well, I think that's it. Um, yeah, I can't think of anything else. Virtue's last reward will be next. Did you mention we have a new Twitter page? We did last time. Okay. Um, I guess we, we can still have a people. new Twitter page. We still have a new Twitter page. It's at the Threepcast. Um, you can follow us there for updates on uh, what we're playing. Um, I try to retweet stuff that's going on in the adventure game community. Um, contacting us through the Twitter page is probably the best way to contact us, apart from email. Um, probably the most likely place where we'll see it. Or if you just want to give us a heads up about something adventure game related that's going on, you can do that too. Yeah. Um, okay, I think that's it. Um, so we will see you guys next month with Virtue's Last Reward. Uh, I'm Elliot. I'm Anton. And this is Threepcast. Bye. Bye. Bye.